You're listening to The Good GP, the podcast for busy GPs. Hi everyone, it's Christina from The Good GP. In today's episode on smoking cessation, I interview Kim Muke, an Aboriginal health worker who specialises in this very topic. We found we had so much content to get through, lots of really practical tips and clinical pearls that actually there was enough information to go over two parts. So stay tuned for this first section where we talk about assessing a patient who is wanting to quit smoking as well as looking at options in terms of nicotine replacement therapy. And make sure you tune in for the second part as well where we talk about special population groups as well as the use of non-NRT supports for smoking cessation, including varenicline. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Kim, and thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you, Christina. Now, Kim, you are working in primary care and almost exclusively, really, in the area of smoking cessation. Do you want to tell me a bit more about your role and how you got into that? Sure. I have a background as an Indigenous background to start with, so hence I've ended up working in Indigenous health. I started off as a nurse and then did health promotion, later on did public health. I was working in this role originally in broader health promotion, looking at healthy lifestyle generally. We noticed as a service that there was a great need for tobacco treatment as well as promoting a healthy lifestyle with with non-smoking, but to actually help people to quit. So my service has really evolved from that. So I do a lot of one-on-one. I've got a very flexible way of working um, because we're in the Indigenous community. I offer home visits for people that can't come in. I also have a great deal of support from management to offer free NRT. I work uh, closely with the GPs who can support me by prescribing Champix. And so, yeah, um, as a result, I have, have a very, very busy practice because as pe- most people would know, the Indigenous community has very high rates of smoking. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. And so, I mean, I can't thank you enough for joining me today. You bring a lot of expertise and experience with this topic, so I really appreciate it. I think it's a great topic for us as GPs to learn a bit more about, um, and it's a great opportunity to update ourselves with the latest evidence and guidelines and quite timely because the RACGP has recently released their updated guidelines, the Supporting Smoking Cessation, a guide for health professionals, a great resource, very evidence-based and I'd encourage the GPs and you know even other health professionals out there that might be listening to have a look through that um, if they do want some extra information after what we cover today. Now I'm really keen to get right into this subject matter. I'm not even going to go into the whole benefits of smoking cessation and why our patients should quit. I think as GPs, we are really well versed in that and have had it drummed into us right from the start. I really want to get into the nitty gritty about actually supporting our patients with the quitting. Now, I know that in the recent guidelines, there's been a bit of a change in terms of how we assess our patients' readiness, I guess, to quit. Did you want to tell me a little bit about that? Sure. The old guidelines used um, a stages of change model, which is a, an addictions model that's been around for a long time. I've always had issues with the stages of change because it's always given people an opportunity to sort of say, oh, maybe the client's not ready, wait until the client's ready. What the new guidelines talk about is the five A's. This is a much, much better model because it really encourages people prescribing or supporting smokers to really start some treatment or opens up that way of conversation instead of just saying, are you ready? So it's it's the five A's. It's You're probably familiar with it anyway, but it's ask, assess, advise 
customise, assist and arrange follow-up. So it, it gives you an opportunity to ask about smoking status and most clients expect a health professional to ask about the smoking status. So it doesn't come as a shock. Most people, you know, will be very disappointed if their GP doesn't doesn't discuss smoking with them. And assessing nicotine dependence, I think that was something that you wanted me to mention, Christina. Yes. Um, we use a modified Fagostrom scale. So that's only three questions. So how many cigarettes do you have in a typical day? When do you smoke your first cigarette? Is it within 60 minutes of waking? And if you've ever tried to quit smoking, have you had a history of withdrawal symptoms? Which is a really simple way, you know, just three questions. It doesn't take long. No. Yeah, no. fantastic. Yeah, and I think people really understanding that they're not going to jeopardise that relationship with the client um, is really, really important. And again, it, it doesn't even necessarily have to be the GP. This can be done by practice nurses, health workers, whoever else is around. Again, clients are expecting to be asked about their smoking when they come into a health facility. And those three questions can be done very easily by anyone in the facility. They're not offensive, they're not particularly personal. And I find generally people are very honest about it. And that's really the, one of the major changes in those new guidelines. And I think um, that that's a real advantage having those professionally endorsed. Yeah, excellent. Okay, if we've got a patient in front of us and we've started to talk to them about it and we've done those initial screening questions to assess their dependence and they are keen to quit and wanting some options in terms of support, what's out there? What options are there and what actually shows some evidence behind it? With the client themselves, one of the best ways of doing it, because what we know about nearly all smokers, nearly all of them have had quit attempts at various times. So usually if they've had some success with one product or another, that's often a really good starting point or to have a conversation with them, them about why it worked or why it didn't work. And usually people were really upfront. They'll say, no, Verena Klein was a nightmare, literally. Um, <laughs> or no, the patches worked really, really well, but, you know, I was using one and I did it for weeks and weeks and it didn't seem to help. So that gives us a really good starting point around dosing what's acceptable to the client. So that's your starting point with your client. With the actual evidence base for smoking cessation treatment, we know that combination NRT is first line along with Klein. They give similar results, but we know we double the chances of any client quitting with some counselling. My experience with Klein, because it reduces people's desire to smoke and reduces their experience of pleasure from that smoking, they can often do it by themselves, but there seems, just in my practice, to be relapse because they haven't learned some of those skills of becoming a non-smoker. So that's how the counselling kind of supports both the medical nicotine addiction, but then the counselling is really, really important to support the social skills and to support those skills of developing non-smoking behaviours. Yeah, and that's a great tip, isn't it? Because I think often give the prescription and go away, here you go, do the discussion around how to take it, but that follow-up counselling is actually really important and can be done by anyone. I mean, if the GP themselves has an interest in following up and counselling, there's other professionals like yourself and then even, I guess, some online phone type of services too? Yep, certainly Quitline is available throughout Australia and Quitline has amazing results. Most Quitline services in Australia also provide nicotine replacement therapy via the mail. So that's another really good option if the 
GP or this facility hasn't got the capacity for ongoing counselling or whatever, Quitline is really good at making those phone calls. They'll make numerous phone calls to contact the client. They'll provide the NRT in the mail and they'll provide the the problem solving around the NRT. I guess that's one of the things when we're talking about any of the nicotine replacement products, none of them are perfect. So the role of the GP or the pharmacist or Quitline is to really work with that client and when they say, I've stopped using the patches, is to work out what the problem was and to do some problem solving with it, with them. Changing the time of the patches, providing tapes, showing them the kinds of tapes to buy, using hydrocortisone cream under the patch to, to solve the itching problem, changing the brand of patch. There's a whole bunch of stuff that can be done to make sure that the products are working for the client. Yeah, okay, so you've leaped into the nicotine replacement therapy, so let's keep going down that line. (laughs) Sure. So you've mentioned a couple of things. Do you want to go through what actually is available now? There's there's a multitude of products, um, and it seems to be new things coming on all the time. So did you want to run through what is actually available and how you'd sort of decide which type of nicotine replacement therapy is best for a patient? Sure. So the nicotine replacement patches are available in a number of brands, there's a number of differences in those patches in terms of the release time of the nicotine into the bloodstream. So generally that doesn't matter because they all release over generally 21 hours. There's some patches that have a, a shorter time frame. I think that most of the clients that I see are very heavy smokers generally and I very rarely use a lower dose than 21 milligram patch. There's no evidence for tapering off those patches, so there's no role for the, you know, the old-fashioned 21, 14, 7, 7 milligram thing. The only exception to the 21 milligram patches is, would be a very, very low-level smoker or a very small person. So if I saw an older lady who was 45 kilos or even a younger woman who was 45 kilos, I would be likely to titrate up. The other thing, of course, we have to remember about patches is traditionally the 121 milligram patch is really generally underdosing for people. So what we know is that the quit lines now are double patching. There was certainly one study out, it was a small study, but it showed most smokers could tolerate between four and five patches. So wow. <laughs> working, working with your client, moving up towards that, I always start with one patch, we check back in around symptoms. I, I've got access to a smokalyzer, which is a carbon monoxide monitor. Once we see how they're going with the smoking, whether that one patch has actually dropped the monitor or whether they've dropped their smoking in that period of time. But often for a very heavy smoker, they'll come back and say nothing happened. So I've got numerous clients on um, four patches and some on five. Wow. So, and so you'd start on the one patch I do. though and then up titrate. Yeah. At what sort of an interval? How long would you have to wait before you went, oh, okay, this isn't enough, let's yeah. add a second? I usually see people weekly, but again, that's maybe a big ask for a GP, but that's where your quit line comes in as well. So they can easily titrate up to two and possibly three. They're providing up to two. So that's sort of the patches, that's a slow release, it's a background dose, but then we have the intermittent forms. So Can I ask just before we move away from the patches, just one other question is, 
whether to wear it at night or not what can you tell us your decision making around you know whether you have it on for the full 24 hours or whether someone takes it off before bed puts it straight on in the morning so that goes back to what i was originally talking about the time of release Mm -hmm. so we know some of the brands have got a six to eight hour release so you have the maximum amount of nrt in your system at eight o'clock in the morning or seven o'clock in the morning which is the time for the heaviest smoking so people normally are in withdrawal overnight because they haven't smoke for eight hours so the nicotine receptors are really wanting a large dose of nicotine so you'll often get them drawing very heavily taking a lot of carbon monoxide having two three four cigarettes so when you put the patch on at night you have the highest dose being delivered at that early morning so that's the rationale behind night but there's always a but (laughs) as i said none of these products are perfect some people do experience restless sleep, some dreams. Now, basically, the restless sleep, the evidence doesn't tell us really whether that's nicotine withdrawal. And the dreams, very, very, very rarely are they violent and awful. Mostly they're weird. Mostly it's weird roller coasters and, and whatever. But very occasionally someone will complain. The other thing that happens with the, those particular side effects is they usually only last for a week or so. Most of the people that I see would have been smoking for 40 years. But basically weighing up that these are probably fairly minor side effects for a medication to use for three months or six months compared to smoking, this damage of smoking for 40 years and ongoing for another 20 years. So again, not perfect products, having that conversation around whether those side effects are tolerable. Of course, if the client's not happy and, and it's very, very distressing for them, more than happy to go to that daytime dose. I would still recommend the 21 milligram patch because of the level of nicotine needed and then you can introduce your your pulsatile your intermittent forms of nrt and so you can prescribe something to be had in the morning before that patch actually starts to work so okay so let's talk about then that intermittent dosing what's available available? yeah Yeah. (laughs) um so we've got gums the gums come in two different strengths and two different flavors plus there's about three or four brands all of them are slightly different formulations so finding a product that's acceptable to your client is pretty important so that's the gums then there's lozenges and there's various kinds of lozenges some of them are different sizes some of them are different shapes some of them have got more filler so that the the nicotine's not as harsh on your throat and there's probably one two three four or five different brands of those and again different strengths and different flavors there's an inhaler which is small cartridge thing that's used similar to a cigarette it doesn't give off any smoke it's a nice clean dose of nicotine that's just sort of puffed on but you know no smoke the other option is a quit mist and so that's a oral spray that's um, sprayed on the inside of the mouth and that gives a very rapid relief from from cravings and very rapid dose. And how would you sort of go about deciding between those? Is it just a matter of putting it all on the table and seeing what the patient prefers or do you have a preference? I guess for a GP to start with, we we know it's combination therapy, but we also know PBS, certainly in Queensland, and someone has mentioned it's different in different states, but in Queensland, only single forms of NRT are available. So the patches are probably the most expensive. So the secondary form is really up to the client 
to make a decision as to whether it's going to be acceptable to them or not. Sometimes it's dependent on um, the condition of their teeth. Sometimes it's dependent on the time of the day that they want to use it. So for example, some of my clients use um, cigarettes in the car. So the inhaler is a very, very good product to use in the car because it can be used in exactly the same way as you would be smoking in the car. So it's exploring that with that element of counselling and working it out. Unfortunately, there's no quick kind of oh this will work because there are so many products out mm. there smoking is a very entrenched behavior you know as you know it's a relapsing condition so there's a lot of personalization to be done to make sure that the clients are getting what they need to support them to quit Absolutely. And so you're really supportive of that combination therapy using multiple um, forms of nicotine replacement therapy versus one one alone. And majority of patients or clients are fairly engaging with that, that, they don't have any issue with that. I think for any smoker to ask them to go and spend money on trying out different forms of NRT, that's a bit of a challenge. Something that happens in the Indigenous community and probably in broader communities is someone will be using something. So they'll come in and go, oh, I saw Arnie had an inhaler, you got any of those? So it's that kind of word of mouth stuff. And I guess it's probably reflected in advertising as well. So people are a lot more likely to try a lozenger or a piece of gum if they've seen some advertising around it. But one of the things that I'll often talk to people about is starting on probably the least expensive option and a very small packet of the inhaler is only about $10 at the moment. So that's possibly a good option to go along with those patches. Hopefully they've they've accessed the patches on PBS. Quitline will provide the patches and also an option. So they will possibly provide gum, possibly lozenges and sometimes spray. It depends what they've got available and the needs of the client. So they're quite good too at providing a range things so yeah okay and we were talking a little bit before we started recording about the pre-quitting start of the nicotine replacement and I think this is something that's really changed in terms of our advice it used to be pick a quit date and that's when you stop all of your cigarettes and that's when you start your nicotine replacement whereas now there's more acceptance of having this lead-in period did you want to touch on that so one of the gurus of tobacco treatment talks about talking to the client about the quit date picking them so we'll start using some nicotine replacement or some Champix. And then as you see the client, you're discussing how their smoking's going with them, whether they're still enjoying the cigarettes, that sort of stuff. What usually happens, and again, I've got the privilege of seeing people regularly, is by usually week two or three, they'll have a look at the smoke eliser, they'll see that the effect of the um, nicotine replacement or the varenicline is working and once they've done that they start to feel quite motivated or even if they're reporting the number of cigarettes they'll say oh actually I'm only smoking half a cigarette what they'll usually say is right this week I'm not going to buy any more tobacco I've got you know six cigarettes left I'm not buying any more after that so that's usually how I approach that quitting thing so for a GP I think it would probably be the same it would be start the medication come back and, and check in with me or you know the practice nurse or whoever else is doing this um, and see how you're going that gives you your opportunity to adjust the dose if, if absolutely nothing's happening and to see how those medications are being tolerated excellent and what about stopping the nicotine replacement therapy i mean when is it sort of someone's actually managed to stay off the cigarettes when do they actually stop the patches stop the gum So the recommended treatment cycle for nicotine replacement patches is 12 weeks. So I absolutely use 121 milligram patch um, for the 12 weeks. If someone was up using the four or five, again, 
what I usually find with clients, they're pretty much self-titrating by that stage. They will start to say, I, um, I've taken it back to one, two, whatever, feeling good on two. So it's really 12 weeks is, is the prescribed dosage and that would be with whatever combination of NRT that you were using. What we then recommend is carrying some pulsatile NRT for the next 12 months. So it's really because, again, it's the behaviour. There's lots of those cues and if you've got a bit of a backup with, I could have a cigarette or I might have a puff of you know mist or I might have a lozenge, that's a much better option than relapsing. So it's 12 months of carrying something and 12 weeks of patches. Yeah, right. Excellent. And you can continue the patches if the patient or client, you know, really yep. was keen to continue post that 12 weeks was still felt, I'm just not right. I'm not ready yet um, to lose my safety blanket almost. That would be acceptable. Absolutely. It's always safer to use NRT than it is to continue to smoke. Yeah. So it's as far as we understand, nicotine is a fairly low danger drug. There's very few side effects. So to continue with the clean form of nicotine, it's harm reduction. It's not perfect but it's much, much, much safer than continuing to smoke. I've certainly seen clients who've been on NRT for quite a long time until they decide themselves. What usually happens with the behaviour is they'll start to forget to put it on and then they'll come back and go, oh, I haven't had a patch on for a week. Hey, I'm good. So, yeah, excellent. Okay, thank you again for your time. Really appreciate it. No worries. Talk to you soon. Thank you very much. Bye.